0: You are listening to the Gentleman's Law Podcast. Listener beware.
1: Rise and shine, the liquor store is open. I ain't got time for moping. I best be on my way. Well, I still got time to save my reputation. Time
0: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Gentleman's Golf Law Podcast, the show that is for the Rebel and the Renaissance Man, which we haven't uh, said our slogan since our first episode, so I just figured I'd put that in there. And I'm your host, Jordan Crowder, and with me, as usual, in studio is Donovan Fowler, and from the Great White North is uh, John G. Goodman. How are you guys doing?
2: Hi. Good. I'm back. I'm good. You're back? And for the record, I'm the Rebel.
0: You're the rebel? The rebel without a cause?
2: Yeah.
3: I'm the renaissance? Who's the renaissance man? You, Jordan? I
0: I guess, maybe. He's the renaissance and you're the man. I'm the scofflaw? Yeah, you're the scofflaw that doesn't smoke or drink.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, let's get a little housekeeping done here. Uh, What are you uh, drinking there, Donovan? Uh, I'm drinking a Murphy's uh, Stout, which is exploding in my hand because it was. Keep uh, it from the audio mixer. It was in my, <laughs> it was in my car. Um, but yeah, uh, nothing like a Murphy's, you know? Yeah. To Murphy. To Murphy.
0: What about you, John? What do you got there?
2: Donovan, try to con- contain yourself.
3: I have an aromatic cherry Coke. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> oh man! Don't get too excited. These <laughs> callbacks
0: are getting are getting a little bit distant from. <laughs> I for don't even know if they're you, callbacks. For those anymore. Of
2: you well, don't understand that callback, I mean, it
3: starts yeah. off funny, then it dips down where it's just you know, it's getting old, but Plank. then it gets funny again <laughs> in like a few more episodes. Exactly.
2: It's just plain disturbing.
0: I think it's been referenced in every episode since the first one. You um,
3: just have to plow through. All
0: right, and I've got as usual. Well, not as usual, but I'm back to simpler times today because I'm a po man. I don't know why I said that way. guy. And with Is that me... that moonshine? Yeah, might as well be. No. It's actually like 6.2% or something for a, you know... For,
2: for like a 350, uh, yeah, like f- six pack for 350. You know. And you got your Batman
0: cup there. That's pretty cool.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Appropriate for this episode. Yeah. <laughs>
3: I am pretty super too.
0: And I am smoking my design Berlin uh Dublin pipe. It's a black uh Dublin shaped uh rusticated pipe. It almost looks like a cross between a poker and a Dublin pipe.
2: Everybody but knows what those like look that like. One. <laughs> I can post a link to it in the show notes. Just Google image it.
0: And I'm smoking some Sutliff's uh, pumpkin spice, which was left over from last October.
2: Uh, You know, that's, I think, I think Statue of Limitations on pumpkin is is out. Is that the right word? It's it's the basic bitch of tobacco.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, does tobacco, uh, pipe tobacco, does it go stale? Like, cigarettes and cigars
0: can dry out? Well, it can if you don't take care of it. Like, basically, if you put it in a sealed container, it's fine, like, for years. Some people open stuff that's, like, 30 years old, and as long as it was in a sealed container, it's fine. But um, So a lot of people put it in jars, or if you didn't open, like, some of them open, like, uh, tuna cans. If you didn't open it like that, it's still good for, you know, some people actually age them. They cellar them and age them.
2: Oh wow. Yeah. There's a guy on YouTube, you know, the military used to pack food in tuna cans like that. Yeah. He goes back to this food from the 1940s and 50 and 50s and eats it. What's really? the lead on camera on that stuff? <laughs> that can't be good I for you. I don't know. But uh I haven't checked in on him. I don't know if he's still with us. I was I was watching that <laughs> stuff about a year ago. Who now is where he is now?
0: Right. Well, you know we have an, actually a pretty cool guest today that John uh, uh, John found for us. Which uh, uh, John, I'll let you tell tell the listeners about it since you are the king of all things Jaws.
3: All right. His name is Matt Taylor, and he's the author of the book Jaws Memories from Martha's Vineyard, and uh, it's all about the making of the movie in '75. Ah, uh, there's a lot of photos that haven't been seen outside of this book before from people that were on the island and worked on the picture, or were just around at the time it was made. And there's a lot of uh, inside stories from all the locals. It's it's pretty cool stuff.
2: All right, that's gonna be that's gonna be fun. Some say that little boy actually got eaten by a shark, and they just filmed it. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. He's a pretty cold guy.
0: That's that's how it works in this industry in Hollywood. They just they don't. They Throw don't you to the get sharks.
3: <laughs> oh, the show must go on. <laughs> the show must
0: go on. Um, and uh, you know we had a little bit of complaints uh, from listeners this last week um, about uh, Donovan's
2: um, mouth breathing. What? They've made me um, wear a breathe right strip breathe and right strip. Uh, wear a, dun- a dunce cap as well. I wish they, <laughs> I, w- I wish they'd let me take the dunce cap off. But yeah, that was me. That was me. I won't. I won't deny it. I got a little too close to the mic and uh, got burned. So. I'm just, gonna just stay away from it when you're not talking. Now. I'm just going to lean back from now on. There
0: you go. But then it gives you then it takes you 0.5 seconds to get to it when I ask you a question. I don't know how I like that. <laughs> what are you, how are, you, you, <laughs> how are you, you, you guys? How are, weeks? Uh, what are, what are you guys is you you guys? How were your guys this week? So what 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 were you up to, uh, John? Anything interesting happened to you?
3: Well, winter's officially over for this week and the snow is melting and that means that all the crazy old men in my neighborhood go outside and shop back the rocks off their lawn. <laughs> <laughs> people in, in the southern climates may not understand this, but when we have a lot of snow and ice, we have these tractors that go by and spread gravel everywhere so it's not slippery. Okay. So a lot of that gets on your grass. Most people, you just rake whatever. It goes into the earth. But these old guys, they get out on their hands and knees and they vacuum their lawn.
2: That's insane. You must pick a pretty powerful vacuum, it's like a shop vac or something.
3: <laughs> that's it, shop vac. you know, just go broomk, wow, broomk.
0: it seems like a monumental waste of time.
3: Yeah, I guess they don't like being in their house.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, when winter's over, you know, you got to get well, we as much sunlight as with, possible. So
3: maybe they have a good reason.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what was the deal to, uh, this year? Did Punxsutawney Phil actually see his shadow, or what was the...
3: yeah, yeah,
2: wait, who? Of Tony Phil. Who's this? The
3: rabbit in, uh, oh in Idaho or something. Have you ever seen Groundhog Day?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I time. just don't remember He's the name. He's the groundhog that Bill Murray drives off a cliff with. That's his name. Okay. Oh, wait. That's Thelma and Louise. <laughs> 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 what about you, Donovan? What uh, What happened in your week? <clears throat> um, well, my week uh, was pretty much, well, this, it was pretty interesting. Uh, I, I went to an art show really? uh, last weekend. Um, you at an art show? Yeah, yeah, I'm very cultured. Um, what kind of art was it? It was, uh, <laughs> it was special art. Uh, I'll say that. It was, it was, it was modern art with with a bit of a twist. My friend, um, who uh, shall so go nameless, uh, he invited me because uh, he wanted me to uh, help shoot it, and I was going to do sound on it. And um, I walk in, and there's just all these crazy, kind of eclectic. But beautiful paintings all over the place. And I meet the artist, his old brother, who I'd never met before. And uh it's this uh he's got autism and epilepsy. So this is sort of his outlet. And uh interesting
3: combination. it that's, is
2: that it is, is. A, that's a lot to handle at once, I he's, would think. He's got a lot on his plate, but he puts it all on the canvas. And uh anyways, it was a it was a good time. Uh Yum. you know. Um I have to say the news was there, and uh, they were covering it, and I saw the caption that they put on the the news story, <laughs> and I was like, "Gosh, who? What intern did they give this to? Uh, a special artist?" So obviously, <laughs> I mean, the kid's retarded. That was, <laughs> um, but <laughs> that was it. As a special artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like, uh, okay. <laughs> Like, are, do we? Is this politically correct? I mean, I'm not. I'm not a. I'm, I'm anti PC, but it was like, who, who was in charge of this title? It was Gene Shallot. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, but yeah, it was a good time. Uh, naturally, there was like no interviews or anything that needed to be done, so I didn't end up doing anything except for uh, trolling the art gallery and trying to uh, pick up chicks. Yeah. Um Great. How, how great, that tip, go? great tip. Great tip. Art galleries are a great place to find uh very nice uh good-looking ladies but uh didn't have much luck actually. Yeah. I don't know what it was. Did know you not speak my, their language of I I don't I definitely definitely didn't didn't go there. It didn't help that I was wearing uh, Bermuda shorts and a uh, and a wife beater <laughs> with a, a kind of Budweiser. But uh, hey hey, you like art? You uh, you uh, what do you like about this painting here? <laughs> I like <Monet>? it too. <laughs> Um Did you at least buy a painting? Uh, no, no, I tried to steal one. Uh, when I saw the price, I tried to take it off the wall and I thought, you know, maybe I could Etsy maybe. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so the DP and I are walking around for those of you who are in the film industry, that's director of photography and, uh, we're walking around. I could have just said cameraman. Damn. You just had to be pretentious. I know. Pretentious. I know. Little- I, I i was born this way um, <laughs> like talking
3: down to the rest of us <laughs>
2: but but uh so we're walking around and uh you know we're we're talking to to various people. And, uh, we, 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 there's, there were these two sorority girls from, uh, USC who were there and, uh, we talked to them for a good amount of time and it was going pretty well. And I thought, you know, a pretty good chance of, you know, getting somebody's number. And, uh, my friend comes over to me about, you know, 10 minutes after, and he goes, Hey, you were talking to those two sorority girls over there. I was like, yeah. And then he was like, Hey, they came back in and were like, Hey, those two cameramen out there. The short one's kind of cute. <laughs> no, for those of you who can't see us, I'm six, four, six, five on my best days, so I definitely wasn't the short one. No. Anyways, you know, crash and burn, uh, get it's, back up it's again. It's better they didn't say rules.
0: That, that the special one's really cute, and they were pointed <laughs> in your direction.
2: Hey, the, is that the artist? <laughs> 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 that may or may not have happened. I don't know. I was uh. I was telling some pretty bad jokes.
0: That's, that's pretty. That's yeah. this is pretty fun. I uh, this week I I ended up doing this and and oh, John we didn't
3: ask you. Oh, oh sorry. you <laughs> son <laughs> of a...
0: nobody! Nobody wants to know. Um, well, uh, this pertains to you, John, because uh, over ten years ago, we made this little indie movie called ben, Bend and Break. I have the recollection of
3: that.
0: (laughs) You're like Alice Cooper. You have no recollection of ever actually recording an album. I'm looking at the poster right now. (laughs) And uh, it's this really crappy little indie movie. It was the first movie I directed, but um, I did this podcast called The Circle Take where they interview directors about their first time making a feature film. And they've actually got some, other than me, they have some really cool guests on there. And I think it's going to be a pretty neat little show.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I'll have to
0: tune in. Yeah, and then uh, next week or I guess in 2 weeks from now on April 22nd is the Big Shave West and uh, will be it uh, looks like I'll be doing a little uh, a panel discussion on wet shaving which is kind of seems kind of silly to me. But I guess I've kind of become an authority on it, having worked for doing videos for Art of on the subject.
2: In order to be on that panel, you have to be able to shave your entire body without a mirror. Exactly. Not a safety razor, a straight razor. You have to shave your sack with a straight razor. You ever see that? Very b- carefully. You ever see Crocodile Dundee? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a great part in that where like he's like he's uh he's shaving with like a regular razor, and you know he's been hired by this like American reporter lady to to take her out into the bush and show her around, and uh, and she walks up on him and he immediately puts it like in his like puts it in his belt line and then takes out the massive knife and just starts, you know, <laughs> picking away at <laughs> his face.
0: Oh, man. I got to go back and watch that. Um, which Which segues into a new segment that we're going to do right now, which let's go to it, guys. It's called Does It Hold Up? Does It Hold Up? does it hold up? And this is this new segment where, speaking of Crocodile Dundee, is when we go back and experience things from our childhood and see if it holds up. It could be a movie. It could be some music. It could be some food. And this week, um, because Easter is coming up very soon, guys. I don't know if you guys have all your chocolate ready. Um, But this week we are doing Peeps. Peeps. You got your peeps, John?
3: Uh, All right. Well, here's the problem. I can't find them. I couldn't find them in any store, so I thought I'll chew on a piece of napkin. I'm going to get the same (laughs) apple. Hey,
2: don't ruin it. Yeah, we got to experience it. Everybody knows knows that Justin Trudeau is very anti-peep. He's very pro-refugee, but very anti-peep. (laughs) He doesn't like those chicks and bunnies. In his country,
0: his answer to all the world's problems is to eliminate peeps yeah. from the uh, the well. You know, <laughs> from if, the if, stock of every store.
2: If the peeps die, they win. <laughs> <laughs> Look that quote up; it's real. <laughs> Um, okay, all right, so I'm opening them up right now. The yeah, end, all they're right. they're Saran wrapped for freshness. It doesn't okay. Really
0: matter, though, so the, let me describe the box you're opening. It's like it's like half a box without any top, and then it's wrapped in
2: Saran wrap. And then, I think I think a lot of people know.
0: Well, you know, maybe people don't remember. Maybe it's changed since we were since we were uh, you know li- little kids. Maybe. Um, and in when, s-
2: when did Peeps come about?
0: I don't know. We probably should look that up. I'm going to
2: look it up right now.
0: All right. And then inside, oh, you decided to go with the blue ones because you, you know, peeps weren't enough of chemical junk. Uh, We had to go with the blue dye, which they say is the worst.
2: I'm very gender specific when it comes
0: to peeps. (laughs) So looking at the package right now, they look like they're little um, bunny shaped
2: marshmallows.
3: I think they've been around since the '50s. To be '50s.
2: Honest. For, first yeah. off, that's that's the biggest problem. Yeah, anything with marshmallow in it, it's just a filler. It's not real. Yeah, empty calories. Yeah,
0: it's yeah. it's true. I think marshmallows. Excuse me. The simpler times is is,
2: is working its way up. I think that I think that marshmallows are good if they're melted or toasted. I think that needs to be an ad campaign. <laughs> Excuse me. The uh, simpler times, <laughs> which I don't know how well. So. I don't know how this is going to work. Mixing peeps and, <laughs> peeps and simpler times. Peeps and simpler. Times. Sounds like an urban legend. It's like, <laughs> it's like red vines and what is it? What's the combination? It's uh. Well, I've mixed. Red Vines and Dr. Pepper in there. Yeah. That's like the best straw you could ever have. But it's, um, it's Pop Rocks. Yeah, it's Pop Rocks and Pop soda. Pop Rocks and Coke. Will oh, make yeah. your, your stomach explode. De- I've debunked. That- I've done it.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> another episode of Adam Ruins Everything. Oh, um, all right, so let's look, take a look at these here. Um, you take one out of the package, and I shall take one out of the package. Okay. Oh, they're stuck together. This seems...
2: I'll watch intently. Yeah, I haven't had one of these in a long time. Actually, I think they used to end up in my Easter basket all the time.
0: I think the last time I had it was probably I was probably around six or seven, maybe I don't know. I don't. It wasn't a common thing. All right, let's let's try this. So it looks like it's a marshmallow covered in blue sugar, and it looks like so (laughs) the, the eyes and nose of this look like they are. Oil stains from underneath my car.
2: They do, yeah, on, actually, a, that, that on an microscopic
0: level. All right, okay, let's, here we go. All
2: right,
3: you know, I'm not a scientist, but I think those things probably take a couple of days off your lives. I
2: bet <laughs> they take a couple of days to digest. <laughs> no, they're <a> tracer food. <laughs> is um. it just me, or is there's there's no taste to these? You have to really savor it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it it's sweet? basically it's just a marshmallow. But it's a, a less tasting. Than mm-hmm. less, like I could taste. There's no point. There's I taste no the point. they actually. I'll tell you what. They're actually better. <laughs> John, for those of you can't see, John is chewing a napkin right now to get the effect. <laughs> it's
0: not that bad. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs>
2: but um, they're you know they're better uh, frozen. If you put them in the freezer, which really? I did, I got these like two packages for like two bucks. Um, otherwise, it just would have been two bucks. But anyways yeah they're better stale or frozen weird
0: all right well so so let's answer the question does it hold up um
2: yeah no I love this no I won't go back no I won't go back either I don't think I will eat the rest of the box though because I'm just you know I will
0: too because I'm hungry and uh and they're in front of me basically it's in front of me so I will eat it all right and that concludes our
2: segment does it hold up Next week on "Does It Hold Up?" the Nixon administration. <laughs> that would actually be really no, funny. Does it I hold up? Not
0: a <laughs> All right. Um, now we're coming to the guest segment, and I'm really excited about this next guest. Uh, John actually is—you uh, know—he's the one that that uh, got us hooked up for this. Um, we have Matt Taylor, who is the author of a book called. Jaws, Memories from Martha's Vineyard. And he's got a new book coming out now called Metallica Back to the Front. Matt Taylor, thank you so much for coming on the show.
3: All right. So, uh, you know, Jaws is obviously a movie that hopefully most people have seen by now. It's, you know, 1975 gives you, uh, you know, a, a few decades to catch up. Uh, so, uh, luckily, most people will know what we're talking about. Um, so, basically, how, how did you get involved in? Uh, writing a book on this
1: subject. Yeah, so I met, I, I, I met a guy named Jim Beller through a mutual friend of Martha's Vineyard named Christy Henshaw. Her father had been in the movie, and uh, um, Jim and I got together. He had collected a handful of photos, um, behind-the-scenes photos taken by locals from Martha's Vineyard, and he had this idea to do, like, a calendar or a book or something, and uh it it that that was the beginning that was the beginning of the whole thing with him where uh you know and, and it, it it was about two years of talking about how to do a book and what the angle should be and uh trying to figure out if there were you know unpublished photos um behind the scenes photos and things like that and uh you know just lots of planning and thinking and figuring out how, what this book should be about and in the uh in the meantime I had moved back to Martha's Vineyard where I I grew up coming here in the summer. I lived there year round now. I back then I I went summers and um as a kid I was here every summer and I knew a lot of locals who had worked on the movie and I began just kind of knocking on doors and talking to people and sure enough, people had lots of old photos and slides and Polaroids and things that they had never done anything with. And so it became clear pretty quickly that the the obvious angle would be to approach the making of the movie from the local standpoint, which had never really been done before.
0: You know, flipping through the book, it's like a, there's a massive amount of material in it. Like, I, I, you think, when you think kind of like when people say coffee table book, you think, you know, it's maybe got, you know, a, a small amount of pages, some big photos on every page, but there's just so much material uh, um, in the book. I mean, how long did it take for you to put that together? It seemed like it must have been a massive undertaking.
1: Yeah, it was, definitely. Um, The reason it's so big is because I wanted to fit everything in. (laughs) So I made the pages really big so I could fit all the little, you know, the captions and the pull quotes. Um, uh, Let's see. So after two years of thinking about how we should approach the book and finally kind of having an angle, I remember jumping in full-time Thanksgiving morning of 2007, and we... I, I, I pretty much wrapped in November, early December of 2010, so it was exactly three years. Oh, wow. And then we went to print the following, what, February, I think. then it, it came out in June, so 20, June 2011. Yeah, so from the, the first day until people had it in their hands, it was about three and a half years. Wow. So, that's a that's long uh, time. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good chunk of your life right there. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, it really... It took a lot of time and effort and uh, a lot of mental wherewithal. <laughs> well, it, it's funny
0: It's funny to think that the time you took to work on this book, it took uh, the movie, you know, shot, edited, and released within that window. <laughs> yeah, I
1: thought, I thought of that, I thought of that very often. Well, I think Steven Spielberg I think he uh, wrote the co-wrote, directed. Co-wrote, directed two or three movies in the time it took me to write this one. <laughs> so, I <mean>, no. uh, <laughs> that, that's what happened. That's what happens when you work alone. I mean, I, I had never done a book before, and um, I, I would sketch out all the pages like one would a storyboard. Oh wow! So, oh, I mean, you know, like like a storyboard artist would for a film. I, I had everything sketched out in pencil because I didn't know how to use the design or anything. And, uh, Cool. I eventually brought my sister in. To, she was a graphic designer, and, and her job was to implement all of my pencil sketches and make the book come together on the computer screen from my pencil drawings. And you know, oh,
0: um, wow. Oh, well, I was going to say that the language you're using in terms of like storyboarding, and you said you wrapped on the book. It sounds like you have some experience w- with the filmmaking process yourself, or is that just or is that just the lingo you like to use?
1: <laughs> Well, I learned a lot of the terminology, making the job. <laughs> 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 no, no, but definitely, I uh, I worked on a lot of uh, well, I was going to say indie films, but um, the short films, student films. I worked on a handful of student films when I went to UMass, and uh, you know, did a handful of short films of my own. Helped other people, helped other people, and so yeah, I, I know some of the lingo. But working on this book definitely taught me a lot more. That's awesome. Wow.
3: Alright, um, I have a, so it, for the movie, uh, they use a lot of local people for, obviously, all the extras, and a lot of the smaller roles were played by, uh, you know, just local citizens on the island. Um, so meeting all these people that have, you know, contributed, to, uh, stories and images for the book, uh, do you have any amusing anecdotes, uh, with some of these people you've met?
1: So, one of the, uh, the producers, was Bill Gilmore. He was on set every day. And, you know, he's a big part of my book. And uh, he called me back one day after the book. I mean, I say actually the book had just gone to print, or they were about to hit print. And he called me up, and he said, uh, I just thought of this great thing I forgot to tell you before. He said, get your tape running. Start your, start your tape up." And I said, oh, man, I can't. It's already... They're about to print it in China. he's like, oh, well, get your tape rolling anyway. You'll want to hear this. You'll want to have it on tape. He said, all right, this is going to be good. I'm going to be kicking myself. All right, go ahead. Tell me the story. So he did, and he said that uh, when they were doing looping for jobs, like obviously a lot of the stuff out on the boat was uh, shot out in the wind, right? And, and, yeah. And was unusable. So they did a ton of looping
0: yeah. for that
1: movie. And a lot of Robert Shaw's stuff had to be looped. And Robert Shaw was actually, it was time to do looping. He wasn't in the U.S. He wasn't available to go to L.A., Universal Studios, and do the looping where, like, say, Richard Dreyfus was and Ron Scheider was. He was in, uh, in Israel, and I, he was in Tel Aviv, Israel. And I can't remember the film he was working on, but it, it was his next film right after Jaws. And so Bill Gilmore and their sound guy traveled all the way to Tel Aviv, Israel, and they set the screen up in a recording studio, and they had the, you know, the, the, the what do you call it, a loop reel, I guess, all yeah. ready to go. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, like a reel-to-reel.
1: Right, and, and, they, and, they, and they, they played the footage of Robert Shaw. He's got the microphone in front of him, and, he, and all those lines from out of the boat, like, you know, who's on, tie me up another barrel, and all that stuff. Yeah. That was all done in Israel. If you oh, can imagine, uh, oh wow <laughs>
0: <laughs> in some hotel probably
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: hilarious. in a recording
1: studio in Tel Aviv Israel and it just yeah, blew my mind I, I was so upset that Bill didn't tell me that during the, the you know the the times we spoke for the the book I mean, it, it just um didn't have time and I didn't have time to get it in there but I that just blew my mind that's insane you know, are oh. you idiot, ain't you watching Starboard? No, that's <laughs> the last place on Earth. Gosh, to props, to
2: the, props to the sound guys on that huh? one. Because I, I said, uh, you know, props to the sound uh, designers on that one uh, afterwards. Because it sounds so much like it's actually happening in the scene, you know. yeah, I would never have yeah. guessed that that was... 80 yard.
1: You know, like all the union stuff, there was a lot of mob stuff going on. A lot of the re- some really bad hombres from Boston, the Boston Union guys, were oh, down here really kind of raised about that. hell and uh, had everybody quite shaken up for
2: sure. Gosh. Oh, boy. That union stuff can be yeah. real, like, uh, showstoppers. I mean, you know, it's just. It, It can really throw a wrench in the machinery when it comes to that kind of... You would think it would have been the the, the shark's agent that was upset about all his time in the water. Yeah. Shark's not getting enough crafty. (laughs) No chum. Did any of the the local uh, people, did they, when they, um, do you know if they knew that this was a big deal when it was going on, or did they kind of just think it was another B movie? Like, what was their... Like, what, oh, what was their no, take on it? They thought
1: nothing of it at all. They thought, you know, forget D the movie. I think they thought D the movie or the movie. <laughs> I mean, like, from, from what I gather, you know, yeah, from what I gather, they really didn't think anything of it. They thought the whole thing was ridiculous. And, um, people here, you know, the locals that were around back then especially, weren't the types that would have been into movies. I mean, I, mean, I think the, the only movie theater here on the island back then was open only in the summertime, wow.
2: and oh, wow. people didn't
1: get more than people didn't get. There's no cable TV. People didn't get more than three television stations on their TVs here, and so you couldn't really watch anything. Oh, yeah. People are just more into outdoorsy things on the island. So something like something like a Hollywood production, they could care less about it. The only reason they had any involvement at all was because it paid well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good reason. And, uh, there, there are actually a handful of people. Still around, but when I went to interview them, get photo their photos of the production, they still hadn't seen the movie. That was in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. They had never seen they're in the movie, they're in the movie, and they worked on the movie, and they've never seen it.
0: <laughs> I love that. They just think that it doesn't. Uh, that doesn't have legs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but the, they, um, a lot of the locals really gave the the, the Hollywood people a tough time. They, you know, um. Uh, just because they didn't understand anything about films, especially how they were shot out of um, out of sequence. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that and, would confuse and both you. Locals had a yeah had a ball with that. Just you know, thought <laughs> these, these people were crazy, and there was no storyline whatsoever, and they couldn't understand why they were, you know. Shooting things in this wacky order, and they just didn't understand that you'd put it all together in the end <laughs> they didn't really have any experience with it at all so that, that and yet they still
3: yet they still stepped up, obviously i mean if you look at the product uh you know everyone kind of pulled together, and you know we we have what we have because of
1: them yeah definitely and really? I mean, Lynn Murphy for sure I don't know if you you're if you're familiar with him from reading the book. Yeah. Then Murphy, yeah, he he just passed away about a month and a half ago. Oh
3: really? Oh, I'm sorry,
1: sorry to hear that. that. Yeah, he was. Let's see, he would have been 89 or uh, 89 or 90 this spring. Um, and uh, he had Alzheimer's actually, which he got five uh-huh. or six years ago. Right, right after I, I I interviewed him, he started to kind of lose his memory, and I got to him just in the nick of time to get all of those stories because a year later, he, you know, it, 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 I wouldn't have been able to do that. And, um, but he, Lynn was, um, instrumental in keeping the production afloat, um, especially with a shark, you know, anything in the water, which is where yeah. the problem, which is where they ran into all the problems. You know, uh, yeah. Lynn was just a, mer- a Marine mastermind. That guy could fix anything in the water. And, and, you know, he was right up until five or six years ago when he got sick. Um, he really bailed them out. Uh, no, oh, wow. he, um, <laughs> you know, everything from helping them, uh, you know, figure out figuring out how to uh, uh, solve issues pertaining to like what's the word uh, electrolysis and like barnacles covering the the underwater wow. part of the, the the gears and the mechanisms, and, uh, you know, just. Things floating properly in the water, and the shark looking right and moving right, and they, they just couldn't do it. And Lynn came along; and he really saved the day. And he was he was local. I mean, he he's one of those guys that I don't. I mean, I don't even know if he saw the movie, and he, he told the shark for every single scene. But uh, anyway, insane. wow, that's,
0: that's crazy. And I mean, um, I can imagine that a lot of some of the a lot of the production being these guys coming from Hollywood. You know, they've, they've done all their stuff kind of academically. They've built the sharks. They've got all these ideas for the shots, but mm-hmm. haven't tried it out practically. And when you're actually in the water having to shoot it, it must be a totally different animal. No pun.
1: Yeah, they actually, I think, I think they actually, when they, they built the whole mechanism, the mechanical shark mechanism, the, the platform shark in uh, California, Bob Maddie did. Uh, I, I, if I'm not mistaken... I mean, if I remember correctly, I think this, they forgot about the corrosive effects of salt water, and they basically built it for fresh water. If I'm not mistaken, wow, and they got yeah. it here, and they put it in the ocean, and immediately it just seized up, and you know the salt and the the, the corrosion was just insane, and um, it, it wow. just stopped the whole stopped the whole show. And that that was that was the first big thing that really just kind of like, you know. Um, ground everything everything to a halt well i, I and it contributed to a better film because
3: uh because of all the problems they couldn't use the shark so they had to develop different ways to 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 pretend it was there which kind of you know makes it scarier because it's the stuff you don't see mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah that was so like literally while they were fixing the shark and trying to get it to work properly and look properly and behave on cue and all that they were yeah they were they had to keep moving forward to the production. And so, yeah, that's where the barrels came into it. And, uh, you know, a lot of the original storyboards, that called to the shark, they just replaced with the barrels. You know, instead of seeing the shark come up, the barrel pops up. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, definitely where that came from.
0: That was super good. That's like one of the yeah. most memorable things, I think, too, of that movie. It's, it's And I think that a lot of filmmakers do end up going through that. They, you know, they they try and solve a problem and then it ends up being like just a better a better piece in the movie, a better scene or a better, you know, you know, just a better part of the movie in general.
2: Well, it's always, it's always like, you know, you show less of the monster and, and and it leaves more to the imagination. No. And when you watch,
1: had that really been done? Had that's been done before. Draws, do you think everybody talks about how the less you see, the, th- you know, the, the scarier it is? I can't think of a film. I
2: seem, I seem before. to remember there was there was a movie back in the '50s that I think Spielberg made. I don't know if he took inspiration from it, but it was called like Cat People or something. It was a really bad movie. I saw mm-hmm. it in film school, but there was um there there I think uh, I'm trying to remember the producer who had this idea, but he basically played around with shadows and light and, and said, uh, you know, we, we don't need to show the cat people. As long as we keep them in the shadows, they're going to be scary. And it was, you know, it was a, like a yeah. pretty bad horror movie. But I think that was sort of, people credit that as where it started. But Spielberg really took it to the next level with Jaws and Jurassic Park. And then, you know, other, other movies, they, they did something similar. I'm
1: trying to think of a, like a, another time... That Spielberg really uh, used that method. I'm thinking of like you said, Jurassic Park. I'm thinking of the uh, the cup of water in the jeep, and you see it begin to shake. Oh and, yeah, that's great. Yeah. You hear the the, the the footsteps coming, and when the water, and the ripples in the water, that that's like classic. Right. Well, yeah. and
2: surprisingly, it didn't seem to like they, they may not have learned their lesson from Jaws in Jurassic Park either, because they had big problems with the T-Rex when it was uh, raining. It would soak up all the water and it would start shaking and they would have to come in and dry it off. Oh. You know, there's always <laughs> seems that, you know, like like Jordan said, it always seems to, you know, once you test this stuff in the field, once you actually need it to work, it just seems to, you know, break down. <laughs> That's a good story. Well,
0: it must have been hard for the locals too, because I remember reading somewhere that the original like production schedule I think was like, supposed to be like fifty days, which is a lot for a feature film. Well, maybe maybe not for a Hollywood block blockbuster, but it ended up being like twice the budget and then three times the amount of shoot time to- uh, shoot days that they had scheduled or something. I mean, it must have shut down yeah, a lot won't... of things for the locals.
1: Yeah, the local selectmen. Stipulated very clearly that they had to be out by well, I, I guess it was July 1st. Hmm. because of uh, you know the summer people come to Martha's Vineyard and, and it would have been impossible to have all the um, you know the generators and trucks and trailers and, and movie people around everywhere, especially on the beach, uh, on the beaches. Uh, so they committed the Universal committed to being out of, out of here out of, off the island by like I say I think it was July 1st. And, uh, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, it turned in, they didn't even leave till the end of September, I think. <laughs> oh, gosh.
0: I mean, shooting but, in, but, in the but water. They worked,
1: they worked. Here's how they got around that though. They, they decided they were going to, they were originally going to, uh, shoot all the stuff out on the Orca first, I believe. If I remember correctly. And then, because that was early May and it would have been too cold for people to go in the water and film the beach, yeah. you know, scenes. And yeah. when they found out they had to be gone by July 1st, for whatever reason, they backed everything up and they flipped it around. And so all the beach scenes were shot in May and early June. So that's why everybody talked about how cold it was when they got, when they went into the water to pretend it was July 4th. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so, and so when Ju- uh, July 1st came along, the production would no longer be shooting on land and they wouldn't be in anybody's way. And they were strictly out on the water. And so that's why they did it that way. Um, Wow. Um, otherwise, insane. they would have gotten into big trouble with the town. But when you hear people, local people, talk about how damn cold the water was, that's because it was like May 5th, May 10th, or whatever. And the water doesn't even begin to heat up until mid-July. So it was really frigid. Oh, wow. wow. That must have been miserable,
0: do, <laughs> doing those things. <scenes. laughs> yeah. Speaking of, like, I mean, they're shooting yeah. in the water. I mean, what, uh, you live in Martha's Vineyard. I mean, how much of a problem are actual sharks? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um,
2: I would think non existent.
1: When I was a kid, up until recently, you, you, fishermen are talking about how you had to go 10 miles offshore to find makos and blue sharks. Yeah. And once you got out that far, they were in abundance, but they would never come towards shore. Now we have this thing where the, the seals have all come back. Oh, and wow. I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Cape Cod at all, but Cape Cod is now completely overrun with seals. Oh, wow. And oh, boy. I from what I gathered, they would have been here back around the Indian times, right before European colonization, but they were, uh, they were all killed and whatnot. And so the sharks went away. They, Well, you know, you know what follows seals, right? The great whites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. and there's a huge great white population now off Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket and Cape Cod, and they come right up the shore. It's really kind of scary. Wow. Um, and nice. they have like, you know, they, they tag 18-footers every year. I don't, I'm not sure where they go for the winter, but they come back in May and June when the seals come back and you can look at aerial footage of Cape Cod now, you know, taken right off the shore. And there are all these big black shadows in the water. You know, you know what they are. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> it's like the movie was prophetic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not too many shark attacks.
1: I'm sure, I bet. Like nature imitating art. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, let's talk about your new book. Um, that you have, out right now, the so, uh, Metallica "Back to the Front." I mean, it seems like a like a strange jump from writing a book about Jaws to putting together a book about Metallica. I mean, what drove you to uh, to put that project together?
1: Well, first of all, my life has been one strange jump after the other for forty years, so <laughs> uh, very strange for me. But um, yeah, it's like ADD or something. I don't know. <laughs> one, one weird thing to the other i think bigfoot's my next topic <laughs> that would be a good one we'll have you back on uh, but uh yeah definitely love it um uh, what 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 prompted me to go on to metallica yeah uh well i mean as a kid i i love jaws I, as a kid, and I mean, I was obsessed with it—more obsessed with the making, given where I spent every summer. And uh, as a teenager, I mean, there were very few things I loved at that age. Metallica was one of them. This is like 1985, 86, 87, and um, I was trying to think about—I was thinking a lot about what my next book should be. I was actually approached by J.J. Uh, Abrams in 2012. You know, he, he, he was a big fan of the jaws book and he wanted me to do a star Trek book, you know, a big coffee table book on the making of into darkness.
0: That's cool. Oh, wow.
1: And, uh, we, you know, we were going through all the the preliminary stages of that and all of a sudden the project just got dropped and I couldn't understand why at first it was very mysterious. Come to find out it was because star Wars came along for him. He, he, I think they were just dropping all these peripheral star Trek projects and, uh, we started like Trek. What, you know, it was just everything all about star Wars. And so that got, that got shelved or axed or whatever. That's too bad. It's really kind of, yeah. And I was really pulling my hair out. What am I going to do next? I want to do something I'm passionate about because obviously these things take two or three years. Like Jaws did. It takes a lot of time and effort and it's just me, you know, Yeah. I pretty much do everything, interviews, compiling the photos, you know, all the scanning, all the editing and, uh, What am I going to do? What can I dedicate myself to? You know, what means that much to me that I can give two years of my life to? And I I kept, my mind kept going back to Metallica, early Metallica, you know, from the early 80s. And um, 1985, 86 was kind of like their breakout period. And a lot of people haven't documented that time frame because it's when their bass player was killed, their original bass player. Uh So a lot of people sidestepped that time frame because he was killed on on the tour that I ended up writing about and the people always seem to re- or tend to remember that tour because, you know, for the accident. And, I, and so I thought it was time that somebody did some kind of project to center on the, the, the uh, you know, the happy times of 1986 and not just the accident. That's all you ever hear about um, in terms of them just beginning to break out. You hear about the accident and Cliff Burton dying. And I thought, well, let's do a book that celebrates all the good times from that year and them really kind of making it to the next level and, so I approached them about it, and I think Lars Ulrich had already known about the JAWS book, where he had a copy or something. and They were familiar with the book anyhow, and, and uh, they liked the idea, and I, I began having meetings with their management, and um, they said, we want you to do a book just like JAWS. And so I jumped in, and gosh, when did I start? It was like winter of 2014, and, and I finished 2016, a year ago, exactly a year ago. So it was one year shorter than Jaws. Probably could have used the extra year, but I didn't have it. Um, So that came out this past September. We did the trade edition and also the limited edition like the Jaws book. So we had the two. So the limited edition for the Jaws book
3: I think comes with a one-inch piece of the actual orca, right?
1: Correct, yeah. Does the
3: Metallica... Okay. And does the Metallica book have uh, something like that as well,
1: like a little extra as, uh, to, that you could get with it? Right. Yeah, it comes with a big slipcase, and when you open it, there's a portfolio on one side that actually has a, it has the guys' embossed signatures, and there's a piece of a uh, uh, an original 1985 slash 86 Metallica road case. That there's a picture of in the slipcase. Um, oh, wow! A pretty cool. Uh, collection. Um, the book is strictly about the 1985-86 tour, um, on, which is, like I say, which is like their breakthrough tour when their bass player was killed. It's about those two years strictly. And so this is a road case they found in their warehouse. It was from that tour. And so we cut it up into little pieces and we, you know, we uh, had them glued into the portfolio. And it looks really cool. And um, anyway, it comes in this big deluxe box and packaging and all that. And uh, we've got about a 100 of those left. Yeah. And if you were, 14, 15, 16 years old in the mid to late 80s, like when I was, I mean, and you were into hard rock or heavy metal and Metallica was just it. And then because they changed and be- sort of became a different band for a long time, and now they're kind of back to their old style. Um, they've kind of found their way back into the old sound again. But, uh, you know, when I, when I started this book, that era of, that, of the band was so nostalgic. And just like when I started the Jaws book, that material and the topic was so nostalgic, right? Because I was reaching back into stuff I loved as a kid or as a teenager in the case of Metallica. So I, I, I just think that, well, like Jobs, their music is timeless, I think. It doesn't fit into any specific era. And then, you know, met, the word metal is in their title, but it's not really metal all the time. And I think, you know, they obviously, they gain a lot of fans through every album. They lose fans. Um, people are always discovering them every time, you know, there are, fan, there are millions of people who just like the 80s Metallica. I'm sure there are millions more who love the the 90s Metallica. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the old fans now are returning back to the fold because they're sort of getting back to their old style and their old sound. And I don't know I can just speak for myself and saying that, um, that, that really early, the early stuff from the 80s really touched me and, and grabbed me and uh, when I decided to do the book, it was based on a real sense of, it was a very powerful um, feeling of nostalgia and uh, passion for that era of the band. So, uh,
0: it's it's crazy to think that that the band could be together that long. It's like we think of the, like the Beatles, and their body of work was just a few albums or whatever in a few years. And it's like band yeah. like the band like Metallica has so much, such a huge body of work, and has never stopped. You know, that it's all they they've known their entire lives is being in that band. <laughs> That's true.
1: They were they were seventeen. 17- Lars Ulrich was 17 when he started Metallica and James was eight, James Hetfield was 18. Oh wow. And they were, I mean, it just happened immediately for them. There was almost no, you know, a lot of bands go years kind of doing the starving artist, starving musician thing. And they're just waiting for that break. But these guys are so good. And so out of the box that within months of starting and putting the band together, they had a record deal and they were doing it. They were just, up and running by 21, 22, they were millionaires. You know, it's just wow, crazy, it's crazy. It's a pretty good success story.
0: And, well, where could people find this book right now? You said that it's a limited edition. There's only a, a hundred copies left. Where would they go to order this if they if they want to
1: get a copy? <laughs> Well, so the limited edition is so we we have the trade edition which is available everywhere. It's Amazon, you know, Barnes Noble, whatever. Okay. Um, the uh, limited edition you can see on www.moonrisemedia.net.
0: Okay, cool. Listeners, if you're a big Metallica fan, swipe those up soon because they're not going to be around forever. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah,
1: they look great on the shelf next to the Joss book. They're the same size, same packaging. Oh, nice.
0: That's that's really so, cool. W-
3: What's next to be on that shelf? So you've got Metallica, uh, you know, under your belt now. You, you released that last, uh, last fall. Do you have anything on the horizon?
1: Yeah, I, I'm writing a graphic novel right now. It's kind of like World War II sci-fi horror. Oh, wow. it's cool. uh, a neat combo. And, um, you know, definitely a, a lifelong Bigfoot enthusiast. I'd like to do some kind of big coffee table book on, you know, like uh, Bigfoot sightings in the U.S. through the centuries. That would be pretty awesome. Basically a big coffee table book chronicle of all the stuff that's happened through the centuries. And I I think it'd be fun. Uh, It's another thing, you know, nostalgia will definitely play a role in that. Um, Definitely. All those Bigfoot films from the 70s, I just, you know, worshipped as a kid. Pretty much Jaws and, like, Legend of Boggy Creek. I mean, (laughs) that movie just blew my mind.
0: Great idea. My wife and I were talking yeah. about this a while ago. That there needs to be a, a, big, a, new, a Bigfoot movie uh, now because it's like they've brought back in recent years at least all the old monsters, you know, vampires and werewolves mm-hmm. and I don't know. Zombies. Frankenstein, zombies. Yeah. They, now they now we've got to have Bigfoot back.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know the big thing about a lot, of the, a lot of these Bigfoot films, though? They're trying to make Bigfoot scary. And they're yep. missing the point. Bigfoot, I, don't, I don't think Bigfoot is supposed to be scary. It's supposed to be spooky. Yeah,
0: that's and there's true. there's a big
1: difference between... Bigfoot's not, like, horror movie material. Yeah. He's, like, he's spooky, and he's eerie. It's creepy. You know what I mean? It, that's, yeah. that's a whole different thing than horror um, it's supposed to make the hair raise up on the back, on, the hair in your arms raise up or, you know, give you that icy chill down your spine. It's not supposed to scare you, I don't think. That's uh, the thing that a lot of people who are making these new movies about Bigfoot are forgetting or not realizing at all.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Well, maybe they could take some cues from. uh, Well, I mean, Jaws, the Jaws shark obviously is scary, but in the way that it's treated, it's kind of creepy. It's all
2: about what's under the water. Yeah, you you don't know.
0: know. You don't see, and Bigfoot is never fully seen in his full form, really ever. At least there's no proof of it, like hard proof of him completely in his in his form, and that's what makes it unsettling. It's like, uh, is he there? Is he not? Uh, How big is he?
1: (laughs) <laughs> like as a kid, I can't tell you how how, how many times, how many hours I sat, I spent sitting trying to imagine what if this thing is real. What the what do they really look like? like there's that you know obviously that famous Patterson Gimlin footage. Oh yeah. Where the yeah, uh, the, yeah. the the the, the creatures walking, then pot and then kind of uh, turns right with his, yeah. mm-hmm. with his arms swinging and the, mm-hmm. the camera. Then people always use that that still frame, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean. That still frame captured my imagination. Like I can't even tell you. Back in the 70s, as a little kid, yeah. holy mackerel, man! That just did it for me. That and Jaws, like that. <laughs> you know, um, that 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 one shot, that one image, fueled a lifetime of creativity. I think for me. Yeah. Um, definitely. Well, That's we're fun. gonna have to do
2: a comparison between Jaws and uh, Legend of Boggy Creek. That sounds like a good... Uh, do it, man. Uh, uh, yeah, get some popcorn and beer and you know, <laughs> have at it.
3: Make an evening of it.
2: <laughs>
1: well, well, definitely, definitely watch it. Watch the first half. It gets a little bit long and tedious. Um, watch the, even the first half hour or first 45 minutes. and it, I mean, it is really, really cool and you might even see some similarities between it and Jaws. I'd be interested to know if you do or if you, if you catch them because they're definitely there. Right. Yeah, for sure, definitely.
0: Well, thank you so much, Matt, for coming on and, and talking with us about Jaws and Metallica and Bigfoot and everything. Um, we'll we'll have yeah. to have you back on as you work on future projects.
1: Yeah, that would be great.
0: Well, thanks, John, for uh, for getting Matt for us. That was a uh, th- that was a neat little trick, uh, trick treat. Um, it was a fun little treat, especially for Jaws fans.
3: Yeah, and any excuse to. To talk to someone about Jaws, and he just happened to be a guy who wrote a book on the subject, so Yo. yeah, yeah, right up da-da, my alley. Yeah,
0: we'll have to have him back da-da. on when he da-da. when he does uh, da-da. Da-da. some more projects. And uh, let's take a moment to thank our listeners for supporting the podcast by subscribing and downloading the the show and also following us on the social media. But we have officially launched our Patreon page. So if you like the show and you want to help us out, you could go to patreon.com slash gent And there are some different tiers we put in there. Um, for, you know, listeners that want to support the show on a per-episode basis. So go to the Patreon page, check out some of those perks. Uh, we have some stuff like uh, you, you can get a special thanks on the live show, your name mentioned on the show. We'll have live uh, monthly video hangouts, which will basically just be the show, but, you know, as a hangout where we'll discuss different things. Um, and also we'll have an additional uh, a monthly movie uh review podcast where we pick a scofflaw or gentleman-esque movie and uh we get together and talk about it and review it and 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 go in depth on it because we don't always have time to do you know that on all the on all the episodes we would just be a whole movie podcast which you know we're renaissance men we're not just all about movies but we're mostly about movies and yes uh uh, if you get a chance leave us a review on iTunes and you can leave us listener voicemail at man 81 scoff with two F's and John is laughing because so, uh, apparently yeah. I screwed something up um, we screwed everything We screwed up. everything up yeah. and <coughs> next week we're gonna have uh, Douglas Smythe and uh, Matt Passarik. Um, they put together the Big Shave West. You guys, what's the matter with you guys? <laughs> no, no, no,
2: no. John, John is having a laughing attack <laughs> yeah, laughing up in attack. Canada. I'm <laughs> being triggered by this, and we're throwing you off. So please continue <laughs> no. on with the Patreon.
0: Well, we're gonna page. be we're gonna be talking about wet shaving and the Big Shave West, which is like the Comic Con of men's grooming. So that mm. should be fun, and uh, we'll we'll see you next week, guys. See
3: ya. Bye!
1: (laughs) Captain says his eyes on the river, we ain't getting home if we don't break through. I can't help but see the horizon
3: shine, we
1: got work to do.